Welcome to Dissecting Medical History. I'm Ange, your host, and before we get started in this episode, I wanted to say this was the first time that I've done an online interview or storytelling with someone else, and while it sounded okay in the beginning, while I was recording, somehow it converted to my computer's mic instead of my own mic. So the sound quality is definitely not as crisp or clear as I would like it to be, unfortunately. And I really am disappointed in that, but I didn't want to have to do the whole thing over again. My friend who's joining me today had never heard the story of Typhoid Mary, and so I felt like having to do it over again seemed a little bit... um, strange. So I just wanted to put that in there before you started listening and I hope it doesn't deter you from listening to other episodes and um, and maybe it's not so bad to you. To me it's, it's not uh, my best but again it's all a work in progress and I'm getting better and better at this and I still wanted to tell the story of Typhoid Mary. So uh, thank you for being here and enjoy the story. Hello, today's story is about Mary Mallon, more famously known as Typhoid Mary. If you don't know her story, great, I'll tell you all about her. If you do, I hope that I can impart something new, or at least you can join in on the discussion. Today, I have a special guest with me. She's a longtime friend, fellow Texan, an artist, a mom, a wife, and she loves to learn new things. Welcome, V, to Dissecting Medical History. Hi. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks for And for being such a here. sweet intro. <laughs> <laughs> we, we go back, I think, what, 12 years? Well, it's been a long time. We were both going through school, right? We were working at, yeah. um, we were working our way into school, and then I got into nursing school, and then... You went your way, I went mine, and we've stayed in touch. But yeah, a long time. Um, so today's topic actually was suggested by another friend of mine who's a fellow nurse, a longtime friend as well. Um, haven't known her as long as you, but uh, I did go to nursing school with her. She's, her name is Danae. Um, she's a very strong public uh, health advocate and an amazing school nurse. And I asked her... Um, why she had suggested this topic. Um, and she said, because of our current pandemic, how, sh- how Mary was an asymptomatic super spreader and how contact, contact tracing really started around the time when they figured her out. Um, and she also said that she felt kind of sorry for her that she was banished to an island all by herself. Wow. So yeah, I, alert. <laughs> I intentionally didn't read anything about this, so I don't have much information, but it sounds like um, that movie 28 weeks later <laughs> so far where the, I think I saw that movie with you for the first time forever ago. And I, that, yeah, that was a long time ago. Okay. Yeah. I'm not a big sci-fi movie person, but I do remember you having me watch that movie yeah it's like uh, <laughs> it it's horror ago. and it was like 
I guess I don't want to ruin it. I might have already, but um, but just somebody who um, didn't get infected or she didn't realize that she was infected or she was immune, like she wouldn't. Anyways, but yeah, just go ahead. Yeah, and that's exactly kind of that what makes um, it interesting so far. Yeah. So. <laughs> so before we get started in the nitty gritty of our story, I should explain what typhoid fever is. Do you happen to know what typhoid fever is? It's one of those old timey, right? Old timey uh, type of infections. So typhoid actually is still around, but it's very rare. Um, More of it in the um, less um, industrial countries. But basically typhoid is a bacteria infection caused by salmonella typhi um, spread through food and water that was contaminated by fecal matter, a.k.a. poop. Mm-hmm. So it, of course, um, can end up in the bloodstream. Uh, but since there's antibiotics now, they weren't discovered until 1920, which is way after Mary's time. Um, they, um, the treatment might have been like um, back then, instead of antibiotics, it would have been laxatives, um, brewer's yeast, um, along with a bunch of other meds that weren't really proven yet. Mm-hmm. So I think um, I think the reason they use laxatives is because it didn't cause diarrhea like a lot of other intestinal infections and fevers. And so I think that they thought pooping it out would be the cure, um, mm-hmm. but it wasn't. <laughs> so uh, Symptoms included high fever, fatigue, weakness, stomach pains, headache, loss of appetite, pretty much all the the common like flu symptoms type thing mm-hmm. um and like i said not diarrhea um and the microbe for it was discovered in 1880 mary's story um begins um well she well i'll talk about it in a second but doesn't she actually comes into the picture a little bit after that but because it was described and figured out didn't mean they knew how to cure it yet Mm-hmm. Um, in 1884, it was confirmed that, yes, this microbe was the reason why typhoid was happening. Um, but some of the risk factors, of course, were poor sanitation, such as crowded housing, uneducated populations, poor hygiene, lack of education on hygiene. Um, people still weren't washing their hands. I mean, that was not a thing. Um, often homes had to share bathrooms and bath areas, outhouses. Um, there was public baths, and a lot of times there wasn't a sink right next to the toilet. So it was like you would do your business, and then you'd leave, and yeah. possibly, yeah. A lot of times people would have to go and get water from buckets um, from other places, and so they were possibly washing their hands in the buckets or um, with other people that had just washed their hands in oh, buckets. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it was, you know, recontaminated. And also, the soil had um, sewer runoff. So the, um, the sewer system was running into the water wells and the rivers. So it was, all that was seeping in. They didn't really have a good sewer system. So then the regular water that you would use to wash your hands or to drink was contaminated. So that all those things um, were kind of against the, you know, this, trying to fight typhoid. Among mm-hmm. other different, we're just talking about typhoid today, but there's a lot of other um, disorders caused by that. And then a sneak peek into an episode I'm going to do later in the season about poop. It's going to be a whole episode on poop. <laughs> um, outhouses were actually arranged over large holes in the ground. 
And then when they became full, they would move the outhouse, cover the hole, and they would just move it to another location of the hole. And so then that way it gave it time to like seep into the, the earth. Mm-hmm. And then once um, that was redone, they would dig another hole and then they would put the outhouse back when that was time. It's kind of interesting. I never, yeah. I never realized, I never thought about, you know, where it goes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, never um, thought about. Yeah. Um, okay, so on to the, to the story. Uh, Mary Mallon was uh, born in 1869 in a poor area in Ireland called Cookstown. And then she immigrated in 1883 or 1884 uh, at age 14. I don't think she came with anyone else. It doesn't uh, list uh, any other family members or anybody that was here. uh, If she did, I can't find any information on that. Mm -hmm. Um, She was about 5'6", just to give you a visual. She's blonde and blue-eyed, and she loved to cook. And apparently she was pretty good because she did cook for some very uh, affluential families. Um, The servants, the other servants that um, had met her, um, worked with her, uh, described her as remote, unfriendly at times, violently hostile, and rather a dirty person. And of course they could have all said this after there was investigations on her, so it could have been a little bit more biased. Um, but that was um, some of the things they said in interviews. Um, she was religious, uh, I believe Catholic. She was unmarried, no children, and honestly not sure if she did have any significant other or family. So um, so pretty much Mary was a cook. She really enjoyed um, cooking. Uh, she had some of her specialties. Um, she worked for an, un- uh, an employment agency that must have been... Um, I mean, like I said, she worked for some affluent uh, families in New York. Um, in 1904, uh, she was working for a family that was vacationing in Oyster Bay. Now, I don't think she was in Oyster Bay, but she was working for that family. And um, they six of those members got sick. So Oyster Bay, have you ever heard of Oyster Bay? Mm-mm. Yeah, I hadn't either. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good, because I'm like, oh, no, this is going to be a lot of, uh, have you heard of that? No. 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 <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I feel like if I'm researching something and I'm like, I know everything, I, it's no fun. But um, so Oyster Bay is like where the rich and famous would go have summers. It was the, um, described as the playground for the rich and the famous. Um, even Teddy Roosevelt would summer there. Um, but so the two of the members were not servants. So one, I think the first one that got sick was a servant and then the mother and daughter got sick. Um, there was a wealthy banker that owned a lot of property out there and he was like, okay, this is not happening. So typhoid was a thing, but it's now touching the rich, you know, the rich Um, family. uh So he, um, it was seen as a, a poor man's disease because of it was found more predominantly in crowded slums and and uh, because of the lack of sanitation. But they're in Oyster Bay. These houses have probably aren't having outhouses. They probably have really nice privies, you know. And um, and so he wanted to do an investigation um, to make sure 
that his reputation of the home didn't get tarnished. Um, so, um, he, okay, so he hired this man named George Super, Soper, Soper. Um, Soper was an epidemiologist and a sanitation engineer, which means <laughs> pretty much he studied sanitation. Mm -hmm. um, he worked really closely with New York State to investigate other outbreaks. Um, he believed that the spread of typhoid could be spread by one person serving as a carrier. Um, and not just from contaminated sources. Because remember I said, like, the, um, the water system would be contaminated and, and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But he did have a theory from his years of experience working on this stuff that he thought one person could be a carrier. Um, he, so he went to work. He first was, like, going to the local seafood supplier to make sure that there was, it wasn't them. He checked out the sanitation system of the house. Um, and so he just kept um, doing research and, and trying to find links. Um, he ended up finding links that got him back to Mary. Um, and actually, this took a couple years. It wasn't something that um, he just traced overnight. Um, kind of like nowadays with tracing COVID, um, there's all these callers to see who have you been around and who like you know the, mm -hmm. and, that, and even that's kind of been a slow process. This this process took a couple years. Wow. Um, he ended up finding her working um, at in, on Park Avenue. Uh, I'm sure you've heard of Park Avenue, but she was working in a home there, um, and so he figured out that it was probably because of her famous peach ice cream. So, yeah, I know you're, you're looking at me like, <laughs> how is it peach ice cream? <laughs> that narrowed it down quite a bit. <laughs> right, peach, peach ice cream. Okay, so how, how peach ice cream? So if you think about it, um, remember I said it was, it's transmitted from fecal matter, right? So she probably went to the bathroom had fecal matter on her hands because she wasn't cleaning them. Was it in the ground? No. Okay. <laughs> she probably she probably just wasn't washing her hands. So it wasn't okay. because it was on. Okay, it was because she touched the peaches. But so if if you think about it, so if she's cooking, like let's say she's cooking some fancy chicken dinner, mm -hmm. she's cooking it. So more than likely, the bacteria is killed from the oh. fire. Uh -huh. and the cooking process. But if you're making and cutting up peaches, uh, my ice cream, when I make, I've made peach ice cream before, um, I'd make a custard and then, you, you know, you do all that. But the peaches were never cooked, so they were still raw. And then you should put them in the freezer or whatnot, whatever makeshift freezer they had back then, um, it keeps the bacteria all intact because it's still raw so that's probably the culprit because it was never cooked mm -hmm. um which is like sucks because everybody loved her peach ice cream and her specialty and that was what's killing them so anyway um it was really <laughs> it was um it's difficult it was difficult to locate her because or it was difficult to figure out 
because it takes about six to 30 days of the onset of symptoms. So they could be eating her ice cream, but they might not get sick for a whole week and she'd be long gone to another family. So that was another reason why it was so difficult. And in that time where they were trying to locate her, um, she worked with seven different families, 22 of them got sick and one died. Wow. Um, when he found her, the New York death toll that year was 639. So mm -hmm. she was responsible for one that they could figure out. He says that um, the Soper said he, it was a conservative number because he couldn't trace all of the people and all of the, you know, the contamination um, that were infected. So he was thinking it could be over a thousand people, an unknown amount that were, that died. Yeah. How old was she during, around this time? Um, I think she was around 30 something because it was in 19, um, 1904 and she was 14 at 1883. So you could do math real quick. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I just look like I'm going to do the math. <laughs> like I'm just I thinking, think like, I think she's like 30 something. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, so he, um, so when he went to approach her, he asked for her urine and stool sample, and that didn't go over well. She threatened him with a carving fork, one of those like carving forks she would use to cut a Thanksgiving turkey. Yeah, I mean, well, if he just saw her and was like, "I need your stool," I don't think I would react <laughs> very well either. But I'm sure, I'm sure he was like, um, <laughs> "Ma'am." <laughs> I think that um, I think that you killed somebody, and um, we want to. He, he probably did say something like that. There was a death, and she was like, "Oh my god, oh, I didn't murder yeah. anybody." Yeah, that's got to be super super right. scary. Yeah. So he left, and then enters uh, Dr. Josephine Baker. So since he was having a hard time getting to Mary to Mary to cooperate, um, the health department maybe they thought they needed a feminine touch. I don't know. So Dr. Josephine Baker, she um, also failed. She tried, but she she's interesting because she is the very first woman to earn a doctorate in public health. But apparently she was not good at persuading an Irish woman for her stool sample. You can't have all the talent. Can't now. In every yeah. area. <laughs> right. That's a lot of pressure. Um, so she came back to Mary um, with five policemen. Two were injured, one almost lost his ear, and she evaded them for several hours before she was finally captured. Wow. And that was just for, like, investigation. And I don't know, honestly, what they said. Like, we're taking you to, you know, we're taking you away. We're going to quarantine. I don't know what the conversation was, but it had to be something not great if she was trying really hard to get away. Yeah. Right? Well, you know, there's not a lot of information about her coming, you know, over um, when she was 14, but if she was running away or something like that, like uh, the kind of personality that goes out and, you know, just pursues life on their own. We don't know what the reason, but maybe, yeah, she's a very brave person. Yeah. Brave sure. and just freedom is very important. So <laughs> yeah, I could. Is, okay. All right. Yeah. So, <laughs> so they did capture her and, and that was in 1907. So 1904 is when they figured out that she, um, was, or when they first had the first breakout um, investigation. And in 1907, she was taken into quarantine. Um, 
And then I, as I mentioned earlier, she, so she didn't have any symptoms. She was an asymptomatic carrier. Um, and that was fascinating to them. They uh, read all of these tests, um, but she never had symptoms. She, she swore she never had symptoms, um, but she did test positive for salmonella um, typhi over and over again. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they, she gave a lot of stool samples. Um, the doctors wanted to remove her gallbladder because they thought that was the cure. They thought the stones were what were causing the microbe that was responsible for the typhoid, but she refused, which I, I find is like the only thing that they let her, like they captured her, they put her in quarantine, but they are letting her refuse the gallbladder. So I think that's mm-hmm. good. But back then, um, again, there was no antibiotics. So she would have survived the surgery Oh, um, yeah. You know, but... yeah, she still would have been a carrier because she still would have had it because that gallbladder thing is not, it's, it's false. So that would have been an unnecessary surgery. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know what would have happened if they would have done that. But anyway, so they put Mary in a little cottage outside of Riverside Hospital on an island outside of the Bronx. She complained that she was like a peep show. Because all of these member, all of these doctors, residents, they were coming in, staring at her. Um, they were testing her. She was pretty much like a little lab rat. She said she complained a lot that she was on, uh, she was being used as a peep show. And every picture that is shown of her on from that island, she is well. Actually, anyone in that picture are all unhappy looking. They <laughs> just have this really <laughs> stone. Like, get the hell out of here, face, which um, is awesome. Um, <laughs> the, the staff also let her be illustrated. And the illustration, I'm going to put an Instagram, they have a, a, her, like, don't be a typhoid Mary um, kind of a nickname. And I'll talk about her, how she got her nickname in a minute. But she, um, it was kind of like a flyer of, like, don't be this lady. So they did an illustration of her, and it was it was circulated like later on, like wash your hands, don't be a typhoid Mary, a spreader mm-hmm. of you know bacteria. Mm-hmm. Um, so they did that too, um, asking her. The media elaborated her deeds because they were exploiting her. Um, Randolph Hearst, the big newspaper guy, um, he got her story. And the funds that she got from that to giving that story, um, she used to sue to get her freedom. But sadly, even though she uh, was able to have the money to sue, um, she lost. They went all the way to the Supreme Court and they denied saying that she um, what, it was more important to protect the public um, than to let her have her freedom. So, um, and one of the cases... In a private lab, she did test negative, but um, they still, they were like, nope. Wow. Yeah. The, the thing is, the, um, she never, she believed very strongly that she had nothing to do with it. She, she was a poor, uneducated Irish girl when she came, didn't get education here, so she, um, and honestly, I believe I, just from all of the studies that I've done, 
I don't think that they talked to her like she was a. Um, they don't think they don't think they talked to her. They talked probably down to her and treated her like she was a, a, a rat, like a test rat, and didn't try to explain to her what was happening. If they tried, um, they didn't obviously do a very successful job, but maybe they just, um, I just feel like some of those, um, those old stories that I read about, they don't care about the person as a patient. Yeah. Well, especially if they if they saw them as just something that was sick, you know, like it's it's almost you want to protect yourself and you're looking down at something like they they associated her more with the disease than the exactly uh, or the illness than a person like they dehumanized her. Exactly. So instead of educating her, so she never she never believed that she was responsible until the day she died. In fact, she thought that this was all a conspiracy against the Irish independence. Um, but yeah, you can't really blame her for that. I mean, she, she, uh, she didn't understand. And, and because she was the first person to be found with no symptoms, um, she was this phenomenon. And so, and, and so for her, like, like I said before, they had just figured out what this microbe was a few years before. And she's not a scientist. She, like, she, she, if they just found out a few years ago, that information wouldn't be uh, common knowledge, and so sh- so that wouldn't make sense. So you couldn't mm-hmm. wrap your head around that. Just like hand washing wasn't a thing then, and people couldn't grasp that concept, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, in fact, yesterday I was reading about an American physician that said um, that gentlemen don't need to wash their hands. Like, what, what's, you know, what, their hands cannot be filthy their hands cannot be yeah like there might be yeah it might look clean but yeah. we, we we're godly or whatever and yeah so for me we turned that bacteria into something right it, but but they didn't they can't wrap their heads around the fact that there's germs like that just they just can't see that concept mm-hmm. so anyway um back to mary so in 1910 um, that was three years later that a new health commissioner came to Mary's aid. She could be released on two conditions. She was not allowed to handle food for others again, ever. And even, um, and he even helped her find a, a, a job as a domestic servant. Um, I think that's probably a maid. I don't know. She was to check in every three months at the health department um, which doesn't seem too much to ask, really. I mean, but she might have seen it as like another probation for being a prisoner. Mm-hmm. So um, another way to have her on the hook. Uh, but Mary, okay, so she did not really abide by those rules. She, um, she <laughs> not only did she not abide by those rules, she used aliases. She changed her name because... I mean, if you've been one thing all your life and you're told not to do it, um, and that's all you know and you need to make a living, uh, yeah. And uh, so um, it's easy to blame her. I mean, obviously, she she didn't understand. Um, she's kind of been treated like that lab rat. Um, and then, I mean, 
if you've ever been in the hospital and like if you have a good health team they do a lot of education and I still feel like she just probably they didn't they just didn't like they just didn't educate her well yeah sounds um, like it yeah um, and then from 1910 to 1915, all the, she used all those aliases, and she worked at hotels, restaurants, institutions. She worked at a spa and one boarding house. And the, um, there was an uh, outbreak at a maternity hospital oh. that reported 25 people sick and two dead. And they found the link which was Mary Brown, um, which also ended up being Mary um, Mallon. So, and it wasn't, it wasn't the, um, they said it was mostly the staff that was sick, so she might have just been a staff cook. So, I mean, there's that. At least she wasn't killing the new moms, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but at this point, it was a lot harder to blame, to blame Mary uh, <laughs> because even though I feel like... <laughs> They could see, like, couldn't she see the connection? Like, people are getting, like, pointing out, like, okay, Mary, maybe you have a point from before. It was only, like, seven people. But but now, look, you cooked for all of these people, and now they're sick. But but then again, like, it took six to 30 days to, you know, so she could have been, well, it wasn't me. It could have been anybody, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Um, but anyway, by, by this point, she was already seen as Typhoid Mary in the newspaper from all those stories from, from the Hearst paper. Um, they, they all were still, I mean, the, the public was already against her and were like, lock her up. And they had no sympathy at this point. I don't even think they wanted her out the first time. Um, so Mary uh, went back to quarantine. She was sent back to that island called North brother um where she again was kept as a prisoner um but this time no parole mm. um and it wasn't she actually didn't have um she wasn't sentenced it wasn't like she was they just quarantined her they didn't it wasn't like a jail like she wasn't she wasn't arrested for um like the first time they didn't have due process and and even though she didn't win her freedom it wasn't like they had a um, she wasn't arrested, like, she, but they, but they still kept her prisoner. Um, and again, she was a lab rat. She, she, um, and during the time there, they checked her, they checked her, um, poop 163 times. And out of 163, 120 of them were positive. She was only allowed to cook for herself. I mean, at least she got to cook, right? <laughs> <laughs> she um, She spent a lot of her time reading and um, and and doing religious things. She also worked in the hospital preparing. This is what I find funny: preparing lab specimens. <laughs> so she's pre- she's preparing lab specimens, and um, she's a carrier of typhoid. Yeah, was it like spe- like? I don't what? think it was typhoid <laughs> specimens, but she probably was in the lab helping with. I don't know helping with stuff. She also did some other stuff um, as well. In uh, 1932, she uh, had a stroke that paralyzed her, and then she died from those complications in 1938. Now, remember I said antibiotics were 
were discovered in 1920. Oh, uh uh-huh. So she had a stroke and died in 1938. So she was still there. It was almost like she was put there and kind of forgotten. And I'm not sure that they tried to study her to see if antibiotics would cure her of, um, I don't think they were there yet, but uh, cure her of of her her asymptomaticness. But um, she did, there was a a funeral announcement. I actually found the the original newspaper article that said um, and announced the the funeral and only nine people showed up Um, and then they quickly buried her that same day and then there was a rumor that said that they did remove her gallbladder (laughs) but i'm not sure i couldn't find if that was a if that was true or not um by the time she died there was 400 other healthy asymptomatic typhoid carriers that were identified but she was the only one that was forced into confinement wow and until the day she died, or at least had her stroke, she's, uh, she still believed that she wasn't responsible. Um, and then there was no way that her yummy peach ice cream could have done any of that. Yeah, it sounds like you said it was, or, you know, like nobody made a connection with her to, to even um, be able to explain something to where she could understand it. And so, of course, she kind of thought it was like a little conspiracy. And then, of course, when she got she got her freedom, that she did the alias thing because she'd already tried to play by the rules by trying to sue them and lost. So yeah, like that's the only way you can do it is if you run, unfortunately, um, or, you know, in that, in that case. And then they never, it's like, you know how, like if you review something, you don't think to review it again because you have this information, you already have this um, idea that, yeah this idea on a person so like yeah so they didn't try to not only did did you know maybe they already thought like she was um you know guilty or like they had she had a stigma already to her but they didn't like reevaluate like oh how do we help this person it was like just forgotten you know yeah there's a couple other things too i think um one of the other things about her is she's irish and has a temper oh mm-hmm. and Irish, the Irish were blamed a lot for the typhoid breakouts, outbreaks, because mm-hmm. between 1880 and 1920, there was 36 million immigrants that came to New York, to America. Wow. 36 million people in that time. And she came in in 1883, 84, and that was the beginning of that. And I think there was... Um, a lot of racism towards Irish and the um, and she was under uh, most of those people were poor and under and uh, under educated mm-hmm. and they were vulnerable to diseases like cholera and typhoid because of the conditions so I think being Irish all and, and that temper of hers didn't well help. it makes sense to like if if people are gonna be you know yeah, it didn't uh, help against either. you then. Yeah, then it's especially like, if, you, if you have a preconceived idea of, of an Irish person being stupid or uh, or ignorant or whatever, then sometimes you can't get past your preconceived ideas of what that person is is that yeah. stereotype. Well, and then also like just because somebody doesn't get angry or doesn't show their anger doesn't mean that they don't get angry. So she just so happened to show her anger. Yeah, she and that just, <laughs> especially being you know. Uh, you know, uh, being female, I'm sure. And during that time, it's like, it's even double, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like yeah. you need to act a certain way. You need to be a, you... 
And then, so there is another man. Um, there was a man that was, um, he, he was responsible, or at least they could tie him to more, out, uh, more people than her. Um, his name was Tony Labella. And he, from 1921-1922, he was a dairyman on a farm responsible for two large outbreaks. And like Mary, he was repeatedly told not to handle food. But he was not confined. He wasn't um, taken in anywhere. Um, in 1921, he, there was 70, he was responsible for 72 cases and three deaths at an orphanage in New wow. Jersey. In 1922, he was responsible for 35 cases and three deaths in New York. New York. New York. New York? New York. Yeah, New York. I, I don't know how to say that. Um, he was released back into custody. Uh, he was released back out of custody, um, but he wasn't, like, like I said, he wasn't held like Mary was. And he was allowed to go, um, but he was told again not to, hold, to handle food, um, and he had to check in with the health department as well. And this was after Mary's time. So he, too, was, had no symptoms, and, but they let him go. Like, they just, <laughs> they let him go. And... But instead of, um, like with Mary, they did a photo of him, and that was distributed among um, the public food handling places. And, um, and so it would have been a lot harder for him to find a job because now his picture was out there as like, don't trust this guy. He's a male typhoid Mary. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But again, like he... Um, like, even, I, I don't know if they tried to educate him as well, and he was like, doesn't, didn't get it, and went back out there and went back to the dairy farm or whatever. And again, dairy is not, I mean, if it's, if it's not cooked or pasteurized or maybe handled it after it was, then, of course, that could really spread. I don't know yeah. how, I, that just grosses me out to think that there's, like, a milk guy handling milk and, like, it could be in my refrigerator like, why were you touching my milk? I don't know. <laughs> anyway. Well, it, sounds, it sounds like I, just being released out, like, because people are going to have to go back to what they know, especially if they need to earn a living, you know? Yeah, And exactly. so it's like, if so, you know, when you mentioned her going back out and um, as a domestic servant or whatever, I was like, oh, she could have been a teacher. Like, she can teach cooking and just not actually touch the food. But that's something you kind of have to discuss with the person instead of thinking, go fend for yourself. You know, you can't do these things that you're, you're trained in or that you um, have a habit of doing. But she also didn't think like she had to change oh, yeah, her life. She, yeah. Cause if I, okay. So if I went to a doctor and they're like, well, you have this disease, even though you can't see it, even though you don't have symptoms, you could spread it. You're going to have to change your whole life and not do these things anymore. Mm -hmm. I would be like, you are ridiculous. Like, I don't know. I, I probably wouldn't believe him either and just be like, well, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense to me. Like, how, how could I have this sickness? I can't spread a sickness that I don't even have. So I, I, could, see, I could see that. I, could, I mean, I could see how it is for her, even though now I know more common sense. But um, co yeah. so, back, so there's a word for, for her. It's a super spreader. Like Danae was, uh, my friend Danae was talking about. So a super spreader, it's actually not even a true medical term, but 
it's someone who can spread disease without having the symptoms. So that actually relates really closely to today's COVID because you have those asymptomatic COVID spreaders, right? right. It's the same thing. But we don't go lock them all up. Can you imagine? Yeah. Can, yeah. If we, if we did, there would be an uproar. There would be, like, outrage, right? And, and back then in Mary's time, it was the opposite. They're like, lock her up. Put her, put her away, you know, because she's a public, you know. And so with COVID, it's kind of the same thing, only opposite mentality. Like, no, we can't lock them up. Freedom of whatever. They should have the freedom to, like, be out without a mask and do whatever they want. And you know what I mean? So, yeah. It's, yeah. So what do you, like, what do you do? How do you prevent these super spreaders from spreading COVID? Just yeah, education. Yeah, that's such a, yeah. It's like, um, I know... Um, the people not wearing masks, it's like assuming the risk, you know, you're assuming the risk, but you're not thinking that you're assuming the risk for people who can't give their consent as well, like that are going to be around you. And so for her, I mean, and it's it's, actually, it's even more dangerous because with peach ice cream, you don't have to eat the ice cream, right? Yeah. True, true, true. Like just don't, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you can't help other people breathing on you. <laughs> yeah, it's very true, very true. Like, um, it, it, you know, if, it, there's one thing to not believe, but you can't even consider something without trusting the person that's giving you the information. And if somebody were to have just gained her trust, like actually made a solid connection, not pretending, um, then maybe she would have done her own testing. Like, oh, I have limited doing this thing and somebody's gotten sick and yeah. there there's my proof like you know I have this yeah whatever I don't know <laughs> exactly so um anyway so that's the story of um of Mary what'd you think interesting huh yeah very interesting and I'm, now I'm starting to think it's not like uh I'm like oh 28 weeks later knew of that story and that's why it was so compelling because it was like yeah in her like in that case uh in that movie you know she's like She's quarantined after, um, and, and it's actually the error on somebody else's part that gets them sick and it gets spread. So like, it wasn't, I don't think she was aware either. I don't know. Anyways, but, uh, so it's like, yeah, it's like, we got human error here. So even if she, um, was quarantined, she was still like handling lab specimens. We don't know, (laughs) you know, like, anyways, um, yeah, I guess it's much easier to think of uh, of the past instead of what's going on right now with COVID, um, especially since, you know, some people are getting sick, but not getting, um, not having to be hospitalized. Yeah. And so um, it's just that mix of information where people are like, oh, I don't know. So I might, I need to just be, just do what's, what's a habit. And I don't know. <laughs> and it changes so much. So in the hospital I work at, um, the, when I, when COVID started to get really big back in the, in the spring, um, early, yeah, late winter, um, it was, nobody knew anything. It was a very, it was very scary. Everybody's on edge and, um, everything changed daily. All of the, in fact, I got, um, I got sent home because of why I was wearing a mask. They didn't want to produce um, panic 
<laughs> wow. I know. They didn't want to produce panic with a, and several people had told me that. And so I said, well, because I, I didn't want to get it. I didn't want to get COVID. And, um, and so I said, and I had been getting over um, being sick, so I still had um, a cough as well. But they're like, well, if you're going to wear a mask, you have to go home. So I'm like, well, I have, the, I have a cough. But, um, yeah, they didn't want to produce panic. So that was, I was off for a couple of weeks in between contracts. And when I came back, of course, ma- masks were mandatory <laughs> at that point. It was like, yeah. it was already, um, we still had visitors. Visitor, visitors were stealing all our masks. <laughs> it was crazy. Oh it was a crazy gosh. time. So, but we didn't know a lot, you know. And, and so that was the mentality back then. We don't want to produce panic by wearing a mask, right? But what would panic do? <laughs> because, well, if you're, if you're coming into a patient's room with a mask on, it just makes them think, oh, my God, COVID's on this unit. Or, or my nurse has COVID. Or um, it, just, it just produces this, you know, mentality, I guess, they thought was going to make things worse. But that was in the beginning. We didn't even have known cases yet in... Um, here in Nevada and um but now looking back that might not have been true there probably was we just didn't have we just didn't have the testing or the the realization because people still thought it was still flu season so but things changed constantly and on a daily basis things you know policies were changing and um, mindsets were changing and everything. And now even the treatment is changing that what they give the patients, um, they're getting better a little quicker. Um, the ones that are in the hospital, um, that they're treating. And, um, and so it's just, it's just going to be one of those things that's going to take time as they study it more and more, just like back in the old days, trying to study typhoid, they, they had to still grasp that concept of what how to treat it because the old ideas weren't working obviously so yeah well that's that's uh I guess um great about what's going on now like you were saying how it took uh several years to kind of pinpoint one asymptomatic person and now it's like there we're it's not even a year and we're trying our best to understand and constantly updating mm-hmm. people about, yeah. I, I guess, what they're finding. And yeah. And you can't really so fault, really you can't really fault what the ideas were. I mean, when they sent me home, I can't say that, you know, that's because that, that was the ideas that they had in their heads at that time. Yeah. Yeah. As long as we move. Logical. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, it's like, well, and then they always say, you know, like in hindsight, everything, right. you know, <laughs> well, at the time I was like, this is ridiculous. I'm fine. But Okay, whatever. Anyway, um, so I was going to talk about some famous people that died of typhoid fever. Okay. So one of them was Wilbur Wright, the oldest Wright brother, who invented and built the first successful airplane. He died in 1903. No, he he died in 1912 at age 45. The first airplane was in 1903. So he didn't die too much longer after he... they had their first successful uh, flight. Mm-hmm. Um, George Washington Gale Ferris Jr. He's a civil engineer that created the original Ferris wheel for the 1893 Chicago World's Columbian Expo. And then he died three years after that at age 37, which is sad. 
Yeah. Think of all the Ferris wheels he could have built after that. <laughs> um, a Princess Elizabeth of Hesse, Hesse, she died in 1903 at age eight. She was rumored to have been poisoned that was meant for her uncle, um, the Tsar Nicholas II, which I don't know why, why would you, why would you poison someone with typhoid? Hmm. That just seems weird. But anyway, John Baxter Taylor Jr., an American track and field athlete, was the first black American to win an Olympic gold. He died in 1908 at age 26. Martha Mitty Bullock Roosevelt, she's the mother of Theodore Roosevelt. She died of typhoid uh, at, in 1884, the year that Mary came across the boat on the boat, um, at age 49. Well, thank you for joining me on this edition of Dissecting Medical History, talking about Typhoid Mary, and I appreciate you guys hanging in there with me for the sound being as crazy as it was. I really do apologize. I'm getting more and more um, education on producing every time I do an episode, and Hopefully, I am learning enough to fix my mistakes and get better each time. So thank you for hanging in there with me. And until the next episode, stay curious.